you are now tuned into World War II Stories. I'm your host, Steve Matthews, and I'm here to take you on a journey through the whirlwind of historical events that shaped our world and defined generations. Stay tuned every Tuesday and Thursday as we delve into the riveting, inspiring, and sometimes tragic stories from World War II. We'll meet the brave men and women who stood up to tyranny, we'll explore clandestine operations and daring escapes, and we'll pay tribute to the resilience of the human spirit in times of extreme adversity. Also, be sure to check out our other podcast focusing on World War I, the conflict that set the stage for the global turmoil that followed. Use the link in the description below. In the grand tapestry of human history, Wars often serve as the junctures where the fate of nations is decided. World War II, with its vast theater and unparalleled scale, is a particularly striking example of such a defining period. This monumental clash of powers, ideologies, and human spirit led to battles whose names still echo through time, their stories written and rewritten by the pens of historians. One such battle, though not as globally renowned as Stalingrad or Normandy, was nevertheless a crucial pivot in the Pacific theater, bearing heavy implications for the progression and ultimate outcome of the war. This was the Battle of Saipan. Saipan, a speck of land in the vast Pacific Ocean, part of the Mariana Islands, was a critical strategic stronghold for both the Empire of Japan and the United States. To Japan, it was a bulwark of its inner defense line, a shield to protect the mainland from the encroaching Allied forces. To the United States, it was a stepping stone, a launch pad for their island-hopping campaign designed to take the fight directly to the heart of the Japanese Empire. From the tranquil Pacific waves that belied the tension beneath to the infernal battle cries amid the pandemonium of war, from the meticulously calculated military strategies to the raw, untamed bravery of soldiers, the Battle of Saipan was more than just an engagement between two armies. It was a pivotal moment that shaped the future course of World War II. As we delve into this epic saga of valor, desperation, strategy, and sacrifice, we will journey from the quiet planning rooms of the United States Military Command to the frantic defense preparations of the Japanese Imperial Army. We'll witness the human side of this colossal clash the hopes and fears of those who were not merely players but humans whose lives were irrevocably altered by the battle. The tale of Saipan is one of heroism and tragedy, of victory and defeat, of the indomitable spirit of humanity amid the harshest trials. This is the story of the Battle of Saipan, an unforgettable chapter in the annals of World War II. Chapter 1. Setting the Stage if one was to cast their gaze upon the tranquil blue expanse of the Pacific Ocean from a sandy beach, it would be hard to fathom that this idyllic seascape once staged a theater of war of unprecedented scale. Yet, during World War II, the azure waves and the scattered emerald isles of the Pacific became arenas where the fate of nations was decided. The Pacific theater was a vast stage, spread across millions of square miles, encompassing scores of islands and atolls. It was a titanic chessboard where two of the world's mightiest powers, the United States and the Empire of Japan, moved their pieces in a deadly contest for supremacy. On one side, the Japanese Empire had expanded its dominion across the Pacific, seizing territories in a crescent arc from the Aleutians in the north to the Solomons in the south. 
Hideki Tojo, Japan's prime minister and a stalwart believer in the empire's destiny to rule Asia, watched this expansion with grim satisfaction. Japan's military prowess, shaped by men like Admiral Isoroki Yamamoto, the architect of the attack on Pearl Harbor, was formidable. By the end of 1941, they had managed to isolate the Philippines, topple Singapore, and threaten Australia, thus establishing a vast defensive perimeter bristling with airfields and naval bases. On the opposing side, there was the United States, awakened from isolationism by the shock of Pearl Harbor. Determined to reclaim the Pacific and avenge the surprise attack, they marshaled their immense industrial and military might. Under the leadership of strategists such as Admiral Chester Nimitz, Commander-in-Chief of the Pacific Fleet, and General Douglas MacArthur, Supreme Commander of Allied Forces in the Southwest Pacific, America began executing a plan, a strategy of hopping from one island to another, targeting those of strategic importance and bypassing others. The aim was to gradually squeeze Japan's defensive perimeter, cut off its supply lines, and eventually bring the American bombers within striking distance of the Japanese mainland. One particular group of islands held significant strategic value in this high-stakes contest. Known as the Marianne Islands, this chain included Saipan, an island that would soon become the linchpin in the decisive moves of this Pacific chess game. As the tides of war swirled around this island, it stood silently under the azure sky, the calm before the storm, awaiting the arrival of the adversaries who would forever change its fate. The year was 1937. Hideki Tojo, a stern, square-jawed man in the uniform of an army general, looked out over Tokyo from his office window. The bustling metropolis was the heart of Japan, a nation poised on the brink of a grand imperial ambition. An ambition that Tojo himself shared and would soon become the instrument of. A seasoned military man, Tojo harbored a vision for his country, one that transcended the limitations of islands and aimed to establish the greater East Asia co-prosperity sphere, an empire that would span Asia and free it from Western influence. This vision was not just Tojo's but was shared by a significant faction within the Japanese military and political leadership. To realize this vision, Japan needed resources, and those lay in abundance in the resource-rich colonies of Southeast Asia held by European powers who were now preoccupied with a resurgent Germany. But standing between Japan and its objectives was the United States, a formidable power whose Pacific territories, like the Philippines, posed a significant obstacle to Japan's grand design. Among the architects of Japan's imperial ambitions was Admiral Isoroku Yamamoto. Although a reluctant advocate of war with the United States, Yamamoto recognized that if conflict was inevitable, Japan had to strike first and decisively. This belief led to the planning and execution of the attack on Pearl Harbor, a move intended to cripple the United States Pacific Fleet and by Japan the time it needed to secure its newly acquired territories. However, Japan's imperial ambitions didn't go as planned. The Pearl Harbor attack, rather than demoralizing America, had the opposite effect. It galvanized the nation and spurred it into action. Now, Japan found itself facing an opponent whose industrial and military capacity far outstripped its own. The South Pacific was about to turn into a grand stage where two giants would clash, 
with the Mariana Islands, and Saipan in particular, set to become a crucial battleground. As the sun set over Tokyo, painting the sky in hues of red and gold, Tojo looked out of his window one last time, perhaps aware that the events to come would shape not just his destiny, but the fate of Japan itself. The Pacific Ocean, a sprawling canvas of blue that stretched far beyond the horizon, was dotted with numerous islands. Following the shock of Pearl Harbor, these islands became central to the game plan devised by the American military command, a strategy best likened to a game of leapfrog. Admiral Chester Nimitz, a seasoned mariner with steely eyes and a quiet demeanor, was at the helm of the American naval forces in the Pacific. Alongside him was General Douglas MacArthur, a man known for his flair and indomitable spirit. They were the ones to devise and execute this novel strategy that would navigate the United States forces through the labyrinth of the Pacific Islands. In a simple game of leapfrog, the goal is to jump over one's companion in a single leap, a gesture mimicked by the American strategy. They plan to bypass heavily fortified Japanese positions, isolate them, and instead, seize less well-defended islands that still held strategic value. Each island captured served as a stepping stone closer to Japan, providing bases for airfields and naval facilities to support the next hop. A perfect example of this strategy in action was the assault on the Marshall Islands. The islands had been in Japanese hands for over two decades, fortified and transformed into a linchpin of their Pacific defense. But in early 1944, American forces struck, seizing the atolls of Kwajalein and Iniwatok in a swift campaign that further tightened the noose around Japan's Pacific Empire. By successfully capturing these crucial points, the Americans were setting the stage for their next leap, a jump towards an island that held immense strategic value, Saipan. If captured, it would bring the American bombers within striking distance of the Japanese mainland, escalating the stakes of the Pacific War. As Nimitz and MacArthur surveyed their maps, planning the next move, the importance of the upcoming battle was not lost on them. It was a high-stakes game they were playing on this enormous chessboard of the Pacific, a game where each leap brought them closer to their ultimate objective, the heart of the Japanese Empire. And in this game, Saipan was the next square they intended to land on. Chapter 2, Prelude to Battle in the vast Pacific Ocean, the Marshall Islands were a scatter of tiny atolls, seemingly insignificant specks of land in the enormous blue expanse. Yet, in the strategic mind of Admiral Nimitz, these tiny atolls were keys, keys that could unlock the path to a much bigger prize, Saipan. The Marshall Islands, under Japanese control since the end of World War I, had been transformed into a fortress brimming with airfields, seaplane bases, and coastal artillery. But for Nimitz, a seasoned strategist, the islands were more than a military outpost of Japan, they were a gateway. Under Operation Flintlock, a military plan approved in mid-1943, American forces aimed to capture the Marshall Islands. A successful assault would serve a dual purpose, sever the Japanese Empire's eastern supply lines, and provide the United States with a base for further operations westward towards the Marianas. The assault began in January 1944. American soldiers and Marines found themselves in the middle of the Pacific, far from home, 
battling not only a tenacious enemy but also the relentless heat, torrential rain, and punishing surf. The islands of Kwajalein and Aniwatok, central to the Japanese defense in the Marshalls, were the main targets. Despite the fierce resistance from the entrenched Japanese forces, the American assault was relentless. By February 1944, both Kwajalein and Aniwatok had fallen into American hands, and with them, the rest of the Marshall Islands soon capitulated. Victory in the Marshalls offered the Americans a significant advantage. They now possessed bases that could support B-29 Superfortress bombers, capable of reaching the Japanese home islands. But before that, there was another stepping stone on the path Saipan. As the dust settled over the Marshalls, preparations were underway for the next big leap. Nimitz, MacArthur, and their staff, poring over maps and intelligence reports, knew what the capture of Saipan would mean a direct threat to mainland Japan. And so, the Marshall Islands became the springboard for the next critical leap in the Pacific theater, setting the stage for the decisive Battle of Saipan. In the quiet command rooms of Pearl Harbor, a plan was taking shape. It was a plan designed to change the course of the war in the Pacific, bringing the fight closer to the Japanese home islands. This plan was Operation Forager. At the helm of the planning process was Admiral Raymond Spruance, a quiet and thoughtful man, known for his tactical acumen. Assisting him was Vice Admiral Richmond Kelly Turner, an expert in amphibious warfare. Their objective was clear, albeit formidable, to seize the Mariana Islands, most importantly Saipan, from the entrenched Japanese forces. The importance of Saipan was clear to Spruance and Turner. The island was not only a vital cog in Japan's Pacific defense, but its capture would also place American heavy bombers within striking distance of mainland Japan. It was a move that would shift the balance of the war significantly in favor of the Allies. Operation Forager was a massive undertaking. It involved a fleet of 535 ships carrying over 127,000 soldiers and marines. The plan entailed an initial bombardment from both sea and air to soften the Japanese defenses. Then, the soldiers and marines would storm the beaches, seize the airfields, and gradually take control of the entire island. The plan was meticulously detailed, accounting for enemy resistance, the tough terrain of Saipan, and the logistical challenges of such a large operation. Yet, the planners knew that the battle's outcome would not merely hinge on their strategies and the soldiers' bravery. It would also depend on the resolve of the Japanese defenders who were preparing for a desperate fight on the beaches of Saipan. As the final touches were put on Operation Forager, the air was thick with anticipation. Every soldier, sailor, and pilot knew the importance of the task ahead. In this game of Pacific Leapfrog, they were about to make their most significant jump yet, a leap towards Saipan that would bring them one step closer to the heart of the Japanese Empire. Chapter 3 The Battle Unleashed June 15, 1944, marked the D-Day in Saipan, a day that would be forever etched in the annals of the Pacific War. As dawn broke, an armada of ships carrying the men of the 2nd and 4th Marine Divisions approached the island, their hearts heavy with anticipation and uncertainty. The plan for the landing was intricate yet straightforward. 
Prior to the troops hitting the beach, American battleships and aircraft would shell and bomb Japanese positions. It was a prelude intended to soften the enemy defense, but the Japanese, in their deep entrenched positions, held on. Once the naval barrage subsided, the first wave of Marines, aboard amphibious tractors and landing crafts, made their way towards the shores. The sight that greeted them was one of chaos and destruction, smoke billowing from bombed-out positions, the thunderous crash of artillery, and the shrill whistles of incoming enemy fire. Leading the assault was Lieutenant General Holland Smith, known to his men as Howling Mad Smith, a moniker earned from his fiery temper and demanding standards. Smith was aware of the gravity of the situation, the need for a quick and decisive victory that would not only secure Saipan but also pave the way for further assaults on the Japanese homeland. Despite the pre-landing bombardment, the Japanese defense was far from broken. As the Marines hit the beaches, they met with intense enemy fire. The terrain, with its sugar cane fields providing ample cover for Japanese soldiers, further complicated their advance. Yet, the Marines pressed on. Inch by inch, foot by foot, they pushed forward, establishing a beachhead amidst the hail of enemy fire. It was a brutal and bloody day, a testament to the tenacity and courage of the Marines, who despite the odds, secured their foothold on Saipan by nightfall. As darkness fell, the beaches of Saipan were a grim sight, a testament to the fierce resistance the Marines had encountered. But they had established their beachhead. They were on Saipan, and the battle, a battle that would decide the fate of the Pacific, was just beginning. In the days following the successful landings, the Marines found themselves in a grinding war of attrition, inching their way through Saipan's treacherous terrain. Two locations on the island stood out in this brutal campaign, places that would come to be known as Hell's Pocket and Death Valley. Hell's Pocket was a natural depression in the island's terrain near the village of Garapin. It was here that Lieutenant General Saito had concentrated a significant portion of his remaining forces. The pocket was a fortified labyrinth of trenches and caves that provided a formidable defense, stalling the American advance. Leading the attack on Hell's Pocket was Major General Roy Geiger, commander of the 1st Marine Aircraft Wing, who had assumed temporary control of ground forces. Geiger was an experienced commander, known for his tactical prowess and calm under fire. He understood the challenge posed by Hell's Pocket and the heavy price his men would have to pay to overcome it. Simultaneously, the Marines faced an equally daunting task in a place that would earn the grim moniker Death Valley. A long and narrow depression crisscrossed with Japanese trenches and pillboxes, Death Valley was a deadly trap for any force attempting to cross it. Under the command of Major General Clifton B. Cates, the 4th Marine Division braved the intense Japanese fire that rained down on them as they ventured into the valley. Cates, known to his men as a no-nonsense leader, was relentless, pushing his Marines forward, urging them to close with and destroy the enemy. The battles for Hell's Pocket and Death Valley were a grueling test of endurance and courage for the Marines. Amidst the deafening explosions and unyielding enemy resistance, they demonstrated their fortitude and resilience. It was a brutal struggle, a contest of wills against a determined enemy who was fighting on his terms. By late June, 
both Hell's Pocket and Death Valley had been neutralized. The cost was high, but the Marines' success in these locations marked a significant turn in the Battle of Saipan. As they pushed deeper into the island, they moved ever closer to their ultimate goal, the capture of Saipan in a striking position within reach of the Japanese mainland. As July began, the tide of battle began to shift. The Marines, despite facing grueling resistance, made significant gains across the island. Two pivotal events marked the turning points in the Battle of Saipan, hastening the end of the Japanese resistance. The first was the Battle of the Philippine Sea, also known as the Great Marianas Turkey Shoot. As the Marines fought on Saipan, a parallel battle unfolded at sea. Admiral Raymond Spruance's 5th Fleet faced the Japanese combined fleet in a titanic clash. The outcome of this encounter would have far-reaching implications on the ground campaign on Saipan. Commanding the Japanese fleet was Admiral Jisaburo Ozawa, a skilled and experienced commander. His goal was to destroy the American fleet, halt the invasion of Saipan, and turn the tide of the war. However, the ensuing air battles were a disaster for the Japanese. Superior American tactics, technology, and training led to the loss of hundreds of Japanese planes and three aircraft carriers, crippling Japan's naval air power. Back on Saipan, the news of the victory at sea invigorated the Marines, boosting morale. The knowledge that the Japanese Navy had been dealt a severe blow and could not come to the aid of Saipan lifted the spirits of the American forces and pushed them onwards. The second turning point was the capture of Mount Tapachau, Saipan's highest point. Its control was critical for its vantage point over the entire island. After intense fighting, Marines finally hoisted the American flag atop the mountain. With the mountain under their control, they had a commanding view of the remaining Japanese positions and could direct artillery and air support with deadly precision. These turning points signaled the beginning of the end for the Japanese defenders on Saipan. However, Lieutenant General Saito and his remaining troops were far from defeated. They continued to resist fiercely, retreating to the northern end of the island for a final stand. While victory was within sight for the Marines, the battle for Saipan was far from over. Chapter 4 Victory and Defeat By mid-July, the remaining Japanese forces on Saipan had retreated to the northernmost point of the island, an area known as Marpi Point. It was here, amidst the jagged cliffs overlooking the deep blue Pacific, that they would make their final stand. Commanding the United States forces was Lieutenant General Holland Smith, who had returned to lead the final push. Smith, despite his gruff exterior, understood the human cost of war. He knew that the final assault on Marpy Point would be brutal, but it was a necessary step to end the battle and further the march towards Tokyo. Opposing him was Lieutenant General Saito. He knew that his situation was desperate. Outnumbered, outgunned, and with no hope of reinforcement or resupply, he resolved to fight to the last, in accordance with the Bushido Code that guided his actions. The American advance to Marpy Point was painstakingly slow and hard-fought. The Japanese defenders, though depleted in numbers, fought with a ferocity born out of desperation. Every inch of ground was contested, every cave and pillbox fiercely defended. 
but the Marines, imbued with a grim determination, pressed on. On July 9th, sensing the end was near, Saito issued his final order, a call for a final bonsai charge, a desperate, all-out attack meant to inflict as much damage as possible on the enemy. Early the next morning, in the pre-dawn darkness, the remaining Japanese forces, led by Saito himself, charged the American lines in a final act of defiance. It was the largest bonsai charge of the Pacific War, a brutal, hand-to-hand -hand battle that lasted for over 15 hours. By the time the sun set on July 10th, the battle was over. Marpy Point had fallen, and with it, the last vestiges of Japanese resistance on Saipan. Saito, true to his word, had fought to the last, ending his life in the tradition of seppuku. The fall of Marpy Point marked the end of the Battle of Saipan. The island was declared secure on July 9th, but the cost had been high. Thousands of lives were lost on both sides. Yet, in the grand scheme of the Pacific War, the capture of Saipan marked a crucial step towards the ultimate goal, the end of the war and the defeat of Imperial Japan. With Marpy Point's fall looming, the remaining Japanese forces found themselves cornered on Saipan. The desperate situation was met with a desperate response, the fateful decision to launch a final, massive bonsai charge, a military tactic that epitomized the Bushido spirit of fighting to the death rather than surrendering. As night fell on July 6, Lieutenant General Saito sent a chilling message to his troops, there is no longer any distinction between civilians and troops. It would be better for them to join in the attack with bamboo spears than be captured. With that, preparations began for a suicidal attack the following day. The bonsai charge commenced in the pre-dawn hours of July 7. Soldiers, wounded, and even civilians joined the frenzied rush, their shouts piercing the early morning silence. It was a horrifying spectacle, a testament to their determination to die honorably rather than surrender. American forces were initially taken by surprise. The sudden and fierce onslaught was unlike anything they had faced before. Caught off guard, the American front line buckled under the intensity of the attack. It was a chaotic scene, the shrill battle cries of the Japanese, the deafening roars of gunfire, the eerie glow of flares lighting up the battlefield. Leading the American defense was Army Major Edward McCarthy. Despite the chaos, McCarthy remained composed, rallying his troops and organizing a counteroffensive. His leadership and resolve in the face of the enemy's desperate final attack were instrumental in stemming the tide. The battle raged on for hours. Gradually, the initial frenzy of the Japanese attack waned, and the American defenses started to regain control. By the time dawn broke, the bonsai charge had been repelled, and the battlefield fell eerily silent. The bonsai charge marked the last major action of the Battle of Saipan. While it had caused significant casualties among American forces, it had also effectively decimated the remaining Japanese forces on the island. It was a tragic end for the defenders of Saipan, a grim reminder of the horrors of war and the lengths to which individuals would go to honor their beliefs and their nation. The aftermath of the massive bonsai charge marked the effective end of the Battle of Saipan. The Japanese forces, having exhausted their resources and manpower in the desperate attack, 
could no longer mount any organized resistance. By July 9, 1944, the American forces, led by Lieutenant General Holland Smith, declared the island secured. The United States' victory was a significant achievement, yet it came at a high cost. The battle had been one of the bloodiest in the Pacific theater. Thousands of American soldiers had fallen, their lives given in service of the mission to secure Saipan. But amidst the devastation, there were heroes. One such individual was Gunnery Sergeant John Bassalone, a charismatic Marine who was already a Medal of Honor recipient for his bravery on Guadalcanal. Bassalone had been offered a chance to stay back home, but he chose to return to the front lines. His leadership and courage on Saipan further cemented his reputation before he tragically fell in the subsequent Battle of Iwo Jima. The victory also had far-reaching implications beyond Saipan. It signified the United States' successful execution of their island-hopping campaign. Saipan's strategic location put the Japanese mainland within striking distance of the United States bombers. It was a crucial stepping stone, enabling the intensification of the air bombing campaign against Japan that would ultimately contribute to ending the war. From the ruins of the battle, the United States forces began building one of the largest air bases in the Pacific. Before long, the B-29 Super Fortress bombers were taking off from Saipan's airfields, bringing the war to the heart of the Japanese homeland. While the Battle of Saipan marked a dark period in the annals of war, the United States' victory signified a glimmer of hope. It was a turning point in the Pacific War, a significant stride towards the ultimate goal, the end of World War II. Chapter 5 Impact on the War the victory at Saipan wasn't just a win for the United States, it marked a crucial turning point in the entire Pacific War. The conquest of Saipan effectively breached Japan's inner defense line, opening up the path for further Allied advances towards the Japanese mainland. Admiral Chester Nimitz, the commander-in-chief of the Pacific Fleet, recognized the strategic significance of this breakthrough. Nimitz, an experienced naval strategist, had been instrumental in devising and executing the island-hopping strategy, which was designed to bypass heavily fortified Japanese islands and seize less defended islands that could serve as stepping stones towards Japan. With Saipan under American control, Nimitz's strategy was paying dividends. The capture of Saipan had effectively isolated the remaining Japanese forces in the Central Pacific. The American forces could now bypass these Japanese strongholds and move closer to Japan without fearing significant attacks from the rear. Furthermore, Saipan's strategic location within the Mariana Islands offered significant advantages for launching further operations. It placed the United States within range of the Philippines, Taiwan, and even the Japanese mainland. The airfields constructed on Saipan enabled the United States to launch B-29 Super Fortress bombers, thereby initiating an intensive bombing campaign against Japan's industrial heartlands. Meanwhile, back in Japan, the loss of Saipan sent shockwaves through the highest echelons of power. Prime Minister Hideki Tojo, who had been a driving force behind Japan's military aggression, was forced to resign. The fall of Saipan signaled to the Japanese leadership that their situation was increasingly desperate. The breakthrough at Saipan was, 
in essence, the breaking of Japan's inner defensive line. It marked the shift of the tide in the Pacific War and set the stage for the eventual Allied victory. From the bloody battlefields of Saipan, the path to Tokyo had become clearer, and the end of the war seemed closer than ever before. With Saipan under American control and the inner defense line of Japan effectively broken, the stage was set for one of the most impactful phases of the Pacific War. This phase, known as the Tokyo Express, saw the United States launching a relentless bombing campaign against the Japanese mainland. At the heart of this operation were the B-29 Superfortress bombers, the most technologically advanced bombers of the time. Operating from the airfields on Saipan, these bombers could reach the Japanese mainland, carrying out strategic bombing raids designed to cripple Japan's industrial capabilities and break the morale of its people. One of the key figures orchestrating this campaign was General Curtis LeMay. A seasoned military strategist, LeMay was appointed to command the 21st Bomber Command, based on Guam, another island in the Marianas, in early 1945. His job was to orchestrate the strategic bombing campaign against Japan. LeMay adopted a bold and controversial approach. He introduced low-level nighttime incendiary bombing raids, aimed to inflict maximum damage on Japan's largely wooden urban areas. These raids caused extensive devastation and loss of life, with the firebombing of Tokyo on the night of March 9, 1945 considered one of the deadliest bombing raids in history. While the bombing campaign was brutally effective, it also raised ethical and moral questions about the extent of devastation inflicted on civilian populations during warfare. Regardless, from a strategic standpoint, the Tokyo Express played a significant role in hastening the end of the war. The sight of the bombers taking off from Saipan was a symbol of the changing tide in the Pacific. It signaled the shifting momentum from Japan's initial territorial gains in the early part of the war to the United States and Allied forces gradually closing in on the Japanese homeland. The Tokyo Express was a testament to the strategic significance of the Battle of Saipan. The island that had been fiercely defended by thousands of Japanese soldiers was now the launch pad for the very bombers that brought the war to Japan's doorstep. It was a grim irony, a painful reminder of the cost and consequences of war. The loss of Saipan and the subsequent bombing campaign on the Japanese mainland sparked a significant change within Japan's leadership, leading to the fall of Prime Minister Hideki Tojo's government. Tojo, a staunch military leader and key advocate of Japan's entry into the war, found his position untenable in the wake of Saipan's fall. The island's loss represented not only a strategic blow but also a symbolic one, shattering the image of Japanese invincibility that Tojo's government had projected. On July 18, 1944, just nine days after the official American declaration of Saipan's capture, Tojo and his entire cabinet resigned. His resignation was a clear acknowledgement of the changing tide in the Pacific War and the deep crisis facing Japan. Tojo's resignation was a pivotal moment in the war, a clear sign that the situation for Japan was becoming increasingly desperate. In Tojo's place, a new government was formed under General Kuniakai Koiso. Koiso was faced with an unenviable task, 
attempting to turn the tide of the war while dealing with the dire situation on the home front due to the intensifying United States bombing campaign. Under Koiso's leadership, Japan persisted in its refusal to surrender unconditionally, still clinging to the hope that a decisive military victory could force more favorable peace terms. Yet, the strategic situation was irrevocably changed. The fall of Saipan and the ongoing bombing campaign had shattered any illusions about the likely outcome of the war. The shift in Japanese leadership brought a subtle change in war strategy, with increased efforts to defend the homeland and prepare for a potential Allied invasion. Yet, it was clear that Japan's ability to influence the course of the war was waning. The change in leadership following the Battle of Saipan underlined the impact of the conflict on the overall trajectory of the Pacific War. It represented a symbolic break from Japan's initial military aggression and marked the beginning of the end for Japan in World War II. Chapter 6 Legacy of the Battle The importance of Saipan in the greater narrative of World War II became unmistakably clear in the summer of 1945. The island, once a fierce battleground, had transformed into a launchpad for the final, devastating chapter of the war, the nuclear bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. These bombings were the culmination of the Secret Manhattan Project, a United States research initiative aimed at developing the world's first atomic bomb. The man overseeing this monumental project was General Leslie Groves, a hard-driving military engineer. Under his leadership, the project had produced a weapon of unprecedented destructive power. The Pacific Islands, especially Saipan, became integral to the logistics of this new chapter in warfare. The North Field on Tinian, a neighboring island in the Marianas Archipelago, was chosen as the departure point for the atomic bombing missions. The choice of Tinian, just a stone's throw away from Saipan, further underscored the strategic importance of the Marianas in the endgame of World War II. On August 6, 1945, a B-29 bomber named the Enola Gay, piloted by Colonel Paul Tibbets, took off from Tinian's North Field. Tibbets was a seasoned pilot and commander, chosen specifically for this high-stakes mission. Hours later, the city of Hiroshima was leveled by the first atomic bomb, Little Boy. Three days later, another B-29 bomber named Boxcar, piloted by Major Charles Sweeney, carried the second atomic bomb, Fat Man, from the same airfield to the city of Nagasaki, causing another wave of devastation. The decision to use atomic bombs, made by President Harry S. Truman, was controversial and remains debated to this day. The bombings resulted in immense loss of life and unimaginable destruction but they also precipitated the end of the war. The atomic bombings and Japan's subsequent surrender on August 15, 1945, underscored the pivotal role of Saipan and the Marianas in the Pacific War. The islands, captured at such a high human cost, had been transformed into the springboard for a new and terrifying age of nuclear warfare. The Battle of Saipan, hence, became a cornerstone event a turning point that ushered in the end of World War II and shaped the course of history. The Battle of Saipan, with its tumultuous history and high human toll, has left an enduring legacy that continues to resonate. In the years following the war, Saipan and the other islands in the Marianas have transformed into living memorials, 
a testament to the bravery, sacrifice, and horror of one of the Pacific War's most significant battles. One of the most poignant reminders of the battle is the American Memorial Park on Saipan. Spanning over 133 acres, this park commemorates the American and Marianas people who lost their lives during the Marianas Campaign of World War II. Visitors can walk along the white sandy beaches where the initial amphibious landings occurred, now peaceful and serene, in stark contrast to the chaos and violence of that fateful day in 1944. Within the park, the Corps of Honor and Flag Circle hold a list of 5,204 names etched in panels of polished black granite. These names, of soldiers, sailors, marines, Coast Guardsmen and Airmen serve as a quiet but poignant tribute to those who made the ultimate sacrifice. Another powerful memorial is the Banzai Cliff, where hundreds of Japanese soldiers and civilians, refusing to surrender, tragically ended their lives. The cliffs stand as a stark reminder of the profound desperation and fear experienced during those final days of the battle. On the personal level, survivors and veterans of the battle carried their memories, often with a mix of pride, trauma, and sorrow. Men like Guy Gabaldon, who, despite the passage of years, vividly recalled the horrors of battle, the loss of friends, and the tragedy of a war that pitted young men against each other. These stories, sights, and memories ensure that the Battle of Saipan is not forgotten. They remind future generations of the cost of war and the value of peace. They highlight the courage and determination of those who fought, while also illuminating the terrible consequences of global conflict. As the sun sets on the serene beaches of Saipan today, the shadows of the past remain, echoing tales of valor and loss. Through memories and memorials, the spirit of those who fought on this faraway island lives on their legacy forever etched in the annals of history. Today, more than seven decades after the echoes of battle subsided, Saipan paints a vastly different picture from its wartime past. This lush, tropical island in the western Pacific, once the site of one of the fiercest and bloodiest battles of World War II, has transformed into a vibrant community and a popular tourist destination, its tranquil beauty belying its tumultuous history. Saipan's white sandy beaches, crystal clear waters, and vibrant coral reefs draw visitors from around the world, a stark contrast to the days when these same beaches were battlegrounds. The island's stunning natural beauty invites exploration, from the breathtaking cliffs that overlook the Philippine Sea to the lush forests teeming with unique flora and fauna. The people of Saipan, an intriguing blend of native Chamorro, Carolinian, and other Pacific Island cultures, along with significant Filipino, Chinese, Korean, and American communities, lend a vibrant cultural diversity to the island. The echoes of the island's past resonate in its diverse cuisine, traditional dances, and local festivals, such as the Flame Tree Arts Festival, an annual celebration of Chamorro culture. Yet, despite its transformation, Saipan has not forgotten its history. The island's war legacy is preserved in its many monuments, museums, and war relics. Tourists and locals alike visit these sites to pay their respects and learn about the history and significance of the Battle of Saipan. Notably, the island's capital, 
Garapin, houses the World War II Museum, a small yet compelling exhibit that provides a comprehensive account of Saipan's wartime history. It presents a balanced view of the events, paying respect to all the soldiers and civilians who suffered in the battle, irrespective of their nationality. But the island's history is not confined to museums alone. The last command post, the ruins of the Japanese headquarters where the final defense of Saipan was organized, is another popular historical site. Nearby, the hauntingly beautiful Suicide Cliff and Banzai Cliff stand as solemn reminders of the war's tragic conclusion. In the end, Saipan today is a testament to resilience and transformation. The island bears the scars of its past, yet has flourished into a vibrant community and a paradise for nature lovers and history buffs alike. It's a place where the past and present converge, reminding us of the human capacity for endurance, recovery, and growth.